Well, thanks, Pete, for reading that to us. Uh, today is the final uh, sermon in this series uh, from the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. So would you please keep your Bibles open to that passage as we go through it? Now, it is no secret that I find the English language really cute, confusing to understand. I think it is so difficult. I um, really find it confusing sometimes, whether it's the, uh, the spelling of words or grammar or how a word can mean different things depending on how you use it in its context. Or sometimes it's just the phrases that we use that are difficult. So to begin today, I wanted to uh, share with you what I believe to be one of the most confusing parts of the English language. Whose idea was it to come up with the idea of an oxymoron? I don't know if you know what an oxymoron is. If you don't, don't worry. An oxymoron is when two opposing words are actually placed together in order to somehow help us describe things. Phrases like seriously funny. How can something be seriously funny? Or awfully good. Or the fact that you're either missing or you're found, but somehow you can be found missing. Or a silent scream. If English wasn't hard enough to understand, somebody decided that it was a good idea to put words together that oppose each other. Like how can you be clearly misunderstood? Or what's a definite maybe? Or an impossible solution? Or a minor miracle for that matter? And if you think this all makes sense, then you may be a wise fool. There are hundreds of these phrases in the English language. They are put together, but they oppose each other. Well, thankfully today, Paul does not use an oxymoron, but he does, in this passage, explain to us how we have within ourselves these two opposing desires, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. They are opposed to each other. Would you please pray with me as uh, we look at these two desires that are found within those of us who are Christians? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would allow us to hear your word today. Give us the willingness to change the way we live as a result of your word. And give us the willingness to serve you and to serve one another more as we wait for your son's return. In your name we pray, amen. Well, last week we briefly looked at what it meant for us to have been set free and to stand firm in our faith. Paul says we have been freed from the way we once lived. We've been freed from the requirements of the law, but Paul here in this letter is not just referring to the Old Testament laws and rituals, but also the laws that define us in this world. At the very beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, Paul warns us, do not be submitted again, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Meaning that once we've been freed, we're not to turn around again and submit again to another form of slavery. Don't find yourself just back in slavery again in some other religious practice or requirements that enslave us once again. 
And so Paul says that we have a newfound freedom. But he also says that we cannot use it as an opportunity for ourselves, as an excuse to continue sinning. In chapter 5, verse 13, Paul warns us by saying, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So here there's this limitation to our freedom. We have been freed, but it doesn't mean that anything or everything goes. There's proper and improper ways to use our newfound freedom. Freedom from the law does not mean freedom to indulge in the old nature. It doesn't mean that we are able to sin however we want and whenever we want. Freedom is not also, as the world would have us believe, freedom to do whatever we want whenever we want. Worldly freedom actually tells us that we can make our own decisions so that we are not held captive under someone else's rule and management. We are told that freedom is how we fight against those things or the people in our life that keep us from achieving our goals and aspirations. And so freedom, as defined by the world, becomes a freedom entirely about ourselves. We can be self-sufficient. We can be self-righteous. And we become concerned only with our own self-profit and pleasure. But this passage here helps us understand that this is not true freedom. Paul writes about freedom that is freedom for Christ. It is freedom seen as an opportunity to serve one another through love. It is freedom to live by the Spirit in step with the Spirit. And as we look at this freedom today, we may realize the freedom that the world is telling us is actually not freedom at all. It is most likely fake. My son Atticus is really into Pokemon cards at the moment. He loves Pokemon cards, and he oftentimes looks online at particular Pokemon cards, and he finds ones that he wants to buy, and he begs me to buy them. The problem is, though, when you're looking at Pokemon cards online, you cannot guarantee that they are real and not fake. They look like the real deal. But you really can't tell until you physically hold the card and examine it. And this is what freedom is like in the world. It looks real. We're told that it's real. But when you experience it, you realize that it is just fake. And so we need to stop buying it. In chapter 5, Paul explains that because we were called to freedom, we are to understand how to use our freedom. Not as the world would have us use it, which is an opportunity for the flesh, but as an opportunity through love to serve one another. And this is possible, this is only possible, because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Freedom can only be recognized when we walk by the Spirit. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're not sure 
what or why we are talking about a spirit that is within us, I would like to briefly explain it to you. See, when you look around you and at the world that we live in today, you may see how beautiful it is, but then when we, you experience this world, you will also realize how broken it is. And you come to question the existence of God. Is there really a God? And if at some point you come to believe that there is a God, then the Bible is our greatest tool in understanding who he is and how everything is under his control. It is his plan written down for us. In the Bible, we see that our attempts, our aspirations to try and fix things on our own is futile. They have not, they will not ever work. And Paul has actually been explaining to us this in this letter to the Galatians. He explains that not only are our attempts futile, but he also explains that within us is this desire to keep doing the wrong thing. Paul has reminded the Galatians the gospel, the good news, and he tells us that we have to hold on to it. The good news about how God has given the solution to our earthly problem. God's solution was to send his own son, Jesus, who said that he was here to save those who would believe in him. But everybody around him thought that he was going to be this great king who would free his people from cap the captivity they were he in here and now, and that he was going to make everything right. But he explained to those who would listen that that wasn't the case, that he was not that kind of king. He told them that he would be killed, he would be beaten and mocked and crucified on a cross which was one of the most horrific and shameful ways to die. And that's what happened. Jesus died. He gave his life. And everyone asked why. He gave his life because that was God's solution. It was God's plan to send his son to pay the penalty for our sins. He died to free us from the slavery that we were all in. And Paul, as he writes this letter, he wants to remind these Galatians of this great truth. And he did it right at the very beginning of the letter, in chapter 1, verse 3. If you flip back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And isn't it great news that Jesus did not stay dead? Because he wasn't just a man, he was God's son. And he rose again so that we could believe who he said he was. And after he rose, he explained to those around him that he would send a helper. And this helper is the spirit that Paul writes about. This helper is the spirit from 
God. It is God himself who enters into our lives. And his very purpose is to help us to continue to live as Jesus' followers, to help us keep going, to help us stand firm in our faith. And what we looked at and what was read today is a detailed explanation of the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in a Christian life. Paul explains what happens to us when we have this Holy Spirit within us. Paul says that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, our evil desires don't just automatically disappear. When the Holy Spirit enters, one doesn't leave. But now there is, in fact, two natures at work in our life. And these natures oppose each other. Paul describes these two natures as the spirit and the flesh. Read with me what Paul says again in chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so here when Paul refers to the flesh, he's not referring to our physical bodies as opposed to our spiritual one. But his use of the flesh here is referring to our sinful nature or the aspect of who we are that is desiring sin. The aspect of who we are that desires the things that we know are not right. And Paul contrasts these two things and explains how they are in opposition to each other. He contrasts in chapter 5, verse 16, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. In chapter 5, verse 18, he uses the phrase, the works of the flesh, in contrast to the fruit of the spirit. And what is clear as we read this passage is that they are always in opposition to each other. There is a desire in us at every point in our life to either live by the one or live by the other. And this is how we live as Christians. Paul actually understands the desire that's in us, and he writes about it in a letter that he wrote to the Romans in chapter 7, where he explains to us, he shares with us his own struggle. He says of himself personally, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the, the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul goes as far as to call himself a wretched man. And we are no different. We are tempted to do 
the things that we do not want to do. We fight this fight within ourselves every day, a fight that pretty much no one else ever actually sees. It is a fight within us because the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. And so with these two desires competing within each and every one of us, what does Paul do? Well, Paul here names the character qualities that go with both. In opposition with each other, we have the works of the flesh, starting from verse 19, and the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. So let's read these again, starting from verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we look at these two lists, the lists of the character qualities that are called the works of the flesh, are by no means complete. It's not a complete list. He actually says at the end of them, and things like these. And so I'm sure all of us here today could add to this list from our own sinful desires. You can call them what you like, but they are our sinful desires. Sometimes we refer to them as things that drive us or control us. Sometimes it's the feelings that we have that we must have this particular thing or that. And the warning for us all is that if we continually live by indulging in our sinful nature without battling against it, if we give in and give up, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul here is not trying to undermine Christian assurance. That's not what he's planning to do. He's not trying to make us feel as though we are going to fail or to cause us to end up depressed as we continue to struggle. That's not what Paul is doing here. But he is aiming to be real with us. He wants us to understand that this war, this battle, must keep going. He wants us to continue to fight and to not become complacent and give up. Now, I've actually taught this passage quite a number of times about the fruit of the Spirit in uh, Kids Church and Kids Zone. Many of you here probably have as well. It always seems to keep coming up when you're teaching anything about kids and you start singing songs about fruit. You start playing games with fruit. You uh, teach them about uh, fruit trees to try and help kids to understand the point Paul is trying to get across. But unfortunately, most likely on my account and my own inabilities, I don't think most kids come away thinking about the battle that is going on. I think they come away thinking about fruit. 
very little about the spirit and the flesh and how they are opposed to each other, the battle that is within us. So I'm making a mental note that the next time I teach anything about the fruit of the spirit, I want to focus on what Paul says in verse 24. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I suspect you too may need to consider this point. You may have noticed that Paul here uses the very same image of how Jesus died, how he was crucified on a cross to illustrate the way that we are to put to death our own sin. See, there is a war that continues on within us until the day we die. There is a conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And it's only with the help of the Holy Spirit that we constantly and deliberately put to death our old nature. And I wonder if Paul had actually just either read or thought about uh, the words of Jesus that are written down for us in the book of Mark. In chapter 834, Jesus actually says to the crowds, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Just as Jesus told the crowds to deny themselves and take up his cross, here Paul uses the same image where we are actually to deny ourselves the desires of the flesh and we're to take our stubborn, sinful desires and nail them to the cross. This does not mean that we can just say sorry for our sins and continue on sinning as if nothing happened. That is not a battle. That is not a war. It's not taking our passions and desires we have and nailing them to the cross and crucifying them. Paul here is talking about taking our evil desires, repenting of our sins, and after repenting of them, take the next step and the next step and the next step to kill them dead. And as we continue to put to death our evil desires, as we no longer live for them, we live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. We reject our human nature and follow the Spirit, the one who Jesus sent to help us. And friends, as hard as it may be, this is what we are called to do every single day. But realize this, the victory is not in the fact that we can ever say that we no longer sin or that we no longer have these desires of the flesh within us, but the victory is that the Spirit of God is at work in us, reminding us that we belong to Christ. It is the Spirit within us that reminds us that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, the final day when Jesus will return and the battle will finally be over. It is the spirit that is in us 
that continues to remind us that we walk by faith alone, by God's grace alone, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and in him alone. That is the victory. And so Paul here, he encourages the Galatians in verse 25. He says to them, live by the Spirit. Continue to walk, keep in step with the Spirit while we continue to wage war on the flesh. And so all of us need to stop and take time here and now today to consider whether or not we are truly resisting the works of the flesh or we are letting them rule over us. See, if the things Paul has mentioned here, things like sexual immorality or impurity, sensuality, idolatry, jealousy, fits of anger, envy, drunkenness, and things like these, if they're what marks your life, then you need to take time here and now today to admit that your sin is keeping you enslaved. And you need to ask God, who is gracious and compassionate. You need to ask him for forgiveness. And some of us today may be struggling a lot with one or many of these works of the flesh. And you may be at the point of despair because you may have tried to modify your behavior, but regardless of how much you try, these things just keep coming back. And I want to encourage you not to excuse them because making an excuse for them is just actually justifying them and covering them up and covering up the slavery that you are in because of them. And so if this is you and you're at the point of despair, don't cover them up, but hear these words that are written from Paul through this letter to the Galatians and to us here today. He has reminded us of the glorious promise of the gospel, the good news, the most precious thing in all the world, that we don't earn our freedom by anything we do. Rather, it is Christ that sets us free. He has done what is needed, not us. He has paid the penalty that is needed, not us. But he has done it all for us. See, Jesus Christ, he actually called this man Paul, who was in slavery, and set him free. And he calls me from slavery and has set me free. Jesus calls you. He calls all people everywhere to repent of their sins and trust in him and to be set free, to be filled with this Holy Spirit and to walk by the Spirit in step with the Spirit. And so Paul here, in the final chapter, in chapter 6, he actually kind of concludes by explaining a couple different ways that we walk by the Spirit, what it may look like for us to walk by the Spirit and to care for one another in love. And two things stand out really briefly as he does this. He asks us to bear and he asks us to boast, to bear one another's burdens. He does that in chapter, two, verse, chapter 6, verse 2. 
and to boast in the cross of Jesus in chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we're going to be honest with each other here in this church, if we're going to be honest about the fact that we ourselves are, have this battle going on inside us, the desires of the flesh and the spirit are battling against each other within us, we must also realize that every other person here is going through the same thing. We are all going through this, and we all need help. Paul is conscious here of this unique unity that is only found in those people who believe in Jesus. This unity can be so beneficial to us as we struggle, as we share the load with each other. We can share the load in so many ways. We can share with one another this load as we encourage each other. We can share the load as we explain to each other where our confidence comes from. We can share the load when we show each other we, where our strength comes from and we share the load by directing each other to Jesus. And so Paul then also concludes by explaining how when we boast in the cross of Christ, we become a new creation. But if we boast in anything else, we have missed the entire point. In chapter 6, verse 14, but far be, but be, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been, has been crucified to me and I to the world. What great words of encouragement here, that we are a whole new person. We are a new creation when we acknowledge that we can only boast in the cross of Christ. We boast in the fact that we began by God's grace, by being justified by faith in what Christ has done for us on the cross. And as we continue on in our life, we boast in the fact that what Christ has done for us on the cross is sufficient. And we do not rely on anything we do. We don't live by a set of laws or rules that we need to follow. We live by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the work of Christ alone. And so I encourage you to bear each other's burdens by directing each other to the incredible gift of grace found in the saving work of Jesus and boast in nothing other than Christ and him crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that what we do is not the good we want to do. So thank you that through your son Jesus who is our Lord and Savior, we are freed from the sin that so easily weighs us down. Help us to remember that it is only through what you have done for us that we are your children, and not because of anything that we have done. Give us the ability and the desire to serve one another in love. Help us to bear each other's burdens, and help us to boast in the cross of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ.
Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a few minutes to consider uh, this passage. You may like to pray. And uh, Rod is going to come up in a few minutes. And we're going to do a confession with each other and then sing our final song. Does it feel like a battle for you? 